Welcome back to Drip, a DC Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. This is the second part of the DIY DC Coffee mini-series, Homebrewing with Diane Contreras. Diane, a.k.a. The Coffee Trigger, and I were complete coffee nerds speaking for about two hours. For you, the listener, our conversation was cut down to the usual one hour. Diane is Director of Training at Vigilante Coffee, and in 2017 was voted Best Barista in a Heightsville Wire Reader Poll. On February 3rd to the 4th, she's going to be competing at Coffee Champs in New Orleans, which is a qualifying competition for the U.S. Coffee Championship. Needless to say, you are in good hands for all homebrewing needs. So sit back, grab your coffee and your notebook, and enjoy the episode. I'm excited to, to talk with you when interviewed Chris a while ago, he mentioned you and he also uh, referenced your article in the Hatesville Wire about Route One's favorite barista. Oh, nice. I totally forgot about yeah. that. That's awesome. So um very <clears throat> excited about that. And then also kind of all the, the latte art, not really, the competition would probably be a better way to talk about it. So just all this experience you have in training and it fits really nicely into the series that I'm doing the DIY or do-it-yourself DC coffee for people who want to roast in the home and brew in the home. So you are the barista (laughs) portion of this to train all the listeners about brewing at home. This is exciting. I'm honored. (laughs) So I guess we can just start out with what led you to coffee. That's kind of my favorite story, I guess. I was a teacher for eight years, mostly in uh, South Central Los Angeles. Okay. My dad is a principal. My mom's a teacher. There's like three other teachers in our family. So everyone's kind of got that gift. When I got older, I was hanging out in Los Angeles and Venice, Santa Monica, going to all these coffee shops, doing my lesson plans there. And I was just like captivated by the people I met. I met a lot of interesting individuals. One particular friend of mine who was an entrepreneur at the time just kind of inspired me. He had his own business and uh, we'd shoot pool together after going to these coffee shops. And I kept thinking, I want to own one of these places. I want to create one. I want to put the energy I have in the classroom into like the world at large. But how do I do that? So then... I was sitting on the sand and it was just kind of one of those moments when you realize you're not supposed to be where you're at in order to do what you got to do. So it was really hard. And my brother moved to Hyattsville for a job. Uh, He worked for Department of Energy the first year they lived here, his family. He was like, yeah, come out and visit. I was like, no, (laughs) I don't want to go to the cold. (laughs) But they showed me the best time out here. They gave me like Hyattsville 101, DC 101, all the monuments, you know, it was just awesome. And I was like, I could live here. So on a whim, I moved out here. And my sister-in-law helped me find a place. It was just magical. It just all lined up. So I followed it. And then I, uh, my brother, Michael, is the biggest advocate of Vigilante Coffee. I actually been waiting to tell this part of the story. Nobody knows. I'm nervous now. Yeah, I don't even know. Oh, man, it's kind of funny. So I wasn't even really into coffee. That has to be out there right now. Wow. <laughs> I was Cutting drinking coffee out. like everybody else, like putting cream and sugar in it. I was a teacher. It's what you do and you're in the faculty lounge. But, but coffee still was a very much centered part of my life. I just didn't understand the quality of coffee yet. And so as I was you know, inspired by places like Intelligentsia and, and all those places that have kind of paved the way, uh, when I got to DC, I went on Thrillist and I just looked up all the best coffee shops in the city. I went to every single one. And I just had an experience. I just opened up myself to the shop, to the coffee, to the people. But my brother kept saying, we live in Hyattsville. Why haven't you gone to Vigilante Coffee yet? I was like, ah, they closed so early. Like, I won't be able to get there. I'm teaching. I'm trying to, you know, do report cards. He was like, no, they have the best coffee in the city. And I was like, Psh, you can't say that about a place. Like, come on. There's a lot of things that go into that. So anyway, I came one day. Uh, we had a snow day, miraculous snow day. As a teacher, you get the day off. Had yeah. never had one of those. And I walked Not down. in LA. Yeah. No, never. No. <laughs> Just, yeah. Had like minimal experiences with snow. So I walked down to the shop, walked in, saw the skateboards, but mostly I just felt the room and the specifics in the brand were really attractive. Like you could tell whoever was behind this, you know, machine of some sorts, uh, really wanted to define itself in a very particular way. And I feel like I'm like that as a person. So kind of just started hanging out there every snow day, writing some stuff I was working on for like a little blog that I was doing. And then I was like, you know what? I should just barista for fun on like Saturdays, uh, kind of like a bartender of some sorts. And then um, I fell in love with coffee. That's basically what happened. I took a class here, 
we have like all these awesome classes for the customers and community. And they had homebrewing 101, invited a co-teacher friend of mine. We took homebrewing. I was just intrigued, like the science behind it, you know, being a teacher, studying things and stuff like that. I didn't know, though, that my palate was like craving to learn more about itself. Hmm. Yeah. Our whole family cooks and you know, we're a big, loud Mexican family. Everyone's in the kitchen doing their thing and kind of trying to top each other secretly. <laughs> yeah. So that all kind of brought me to this place. So who's the best cook? Oh, that always goes to my grandma, Irene. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My grandma, Irene, is hands down like the best cook. She'll outbeat any Mexican grandmother out there. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> oh, wow. You're creating a storm now. I am. I did it. <laughs> Very cool. And so you were just really wanted to expand your palate and, and learn more about that and more about coffee? And Yeah, that okay. part was like the surprise factor. I, I didn't actually take my palate very seriously. It comes naturally to cook. So I didn't think that was something amazing to mm. be. I've always been like an intellectual. I like reading, I like studying, I like teaching, I like analyzing. So I was first trying to just understand like coffee ratios and like scales, <laughs> which yeah. we'll get into later. Like I didn't have an appreciation for like any of that stuff until I took that class. And then when uh, I got trained here, so Chris Vigilante and Austin Reddington, the Chris not is the Austin. founder. Yeah, not you. <laughs> and you have an E-N in your name. <laughs> yes, that's true. He goes by I-N at the end of his yeah, name. It's wrong, but don't tell me. It's- <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is another <laughs> fight starting now. <laughs> but yeah, they pretty much mentored me when I first joined because, you know, they didn't have a trainer, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just the owners and uh, a couple baristas that they had, like very awesome baristas who nurtured my growth here. And they weren't even really sure, I think, what to make of me. They're like, oh, she's from California. Like she's probably going to leave. But as I was learning, it was kind of the same thing that happened with teaching. I just got consumed by it. And then I started to want to make coffee at home all the time. Yeah, and I just kind of looked up to everyone who was in the business. I started to realize, like, it, you know, the coffee is literally the center of what we're doing, and that's fascinating. Like, I imagine that's what great chefs feel like when they talk about what they're doing, you know? And I hadn't seen that yet in, um, I guess, what you want to call the food industry. Yeah. So, yeah, I just uh, kind of fall in love. You don't really realize you're in love <laughs> until apparently, like, three years later, I wake up and I'm about to be in a competition. I'm like, oh, I'm in love with coffee. <laughs> That's a great place to be, though. It is. I'm really starting to feel it all. It feels really great. Nice. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and we're not going to go into all of it. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at some point, maybe, maybe in a future episode. Cool. So you, you mentioned a competition. What's this? Yes. So there is a Brisa competition coming up in February. There was already one in December in Reno. It's the uh, Coffee Champs Barista competition. So if you win qualifiers, which is the, the one that I'm in in February, or if you get like top 12, basically... Um, you move forward to nationals and nationals is in Seattle. And then after Seattle, that winner becomes the barista to represent the nation, which US is U.S. barista champion, right? Yes. Yes. It's like a huge honor. Very exciting. Um, and then you compete at the world level, which is like mind blowing when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. So that competition is coming up in February. So I've been training for that. Cool. Well, we'll definitely check back in. Yeah. See how everything goes. I would love that. Um, for everybody listening, she wouldn't show me her routine. I was pretty disappointed. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I, Next time. I love my routine. <laughs> it is really great. Yeah. So you, and we'll get to Coffee 101 in a second, but okay. you jumped into Vigilante Coffee and then ended up becoming the training director. Mm-hmm. But what influence did working in the classroom have on training and the program and then what did you change from the program that was already set when you came in from the classroom to give you like I guess a little bit of background when I left teaching like when I was making that transition uh, the only other thing I really wanted to do in teaching was build curriculums of my own and be a consultant for schools whether it's an entire school or entire district or whatnot I saw that as like the best possible way to transform the school system uh, or make it stronger for mm-hmm. all the employees underneath right and when you're in the classroom you're constantly fighting like the data the kids like there's all these little things and I wanted to get on the outside of that and yeah. affect it so when I walked into Vigilante Coffee I basically saw like a school I was like, oh, this is a school in its beginning years, and it has yet to define its values, its mission, its 
Um, we used to call them scholar lessons at uh, Synergy Charter Academy, which is where I worked and completely loved. And so I had already watched a charter school basically brand itself mm-hmm. and become a company. And I knew that the same thing could happen with a business just from that insight. And Chris Vigilante, Vigilante and the crew, the other owners who basically meet up and talk about you know where the company is going they would invite me to these meetings and I realized, oh, wow, I can actually like help this company. Like I can play a big role and make it grow. That would be awesome. Of course, I didn't see the power in that really. I just acknowledged it as, oh, I'm a teacher. I could do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Chris kind of read into that too. So by allowing me to be part of those intimate meetings, I was able to learn about more where they were headed. And that's when I was like, okay, if they want to grow in this way, and in this way means like, he really cares a lot about like the people. Like we value our baristas on a different level. We value them like intellectuals and kind of like the energy of the room. So not only do you need to be amazing at coffee knowledge and brewing and sharing coffee passion, you have to be able to connect with people Mm -hmm. on a different level. So our passion in teaching, like from listening to Chris sculpt the the beginning of the company, I realized they needed a teacher, not really like a trainer. They needed someone who could like inspire, motivate, get people excited about things, see like the truth behind what we were really doing. So then I started to create little classes like, oh, we should have a training on this and then call it, you know, hospitality or customer service or, you know started creating curriculums basically and then I would just basically consult with Chris and Austin and Ashley Bodine who's uh, one of the other owners and the three of them would basically give all their input possible and then I would take that information and craft these classes and then we go back to the drawing board and then we create a pipeline and we're like okay after this person gets to this level where do they go do they move up in the company do they become directors how are we going to do this Hmm. Yeah, so it generally, it, that's basically what a school is. You know, yeah. you got your coaches for reading and language and all these things, and then there's writing curriculums, and then there's principles and so forth. So it's literally a very similar system. It's pretty much what we did. That's neat. Yeah, and I've been loving it because it's very much like, it's literally teaching. Yeah. Um, and I get to work with older human beings. I love kids. I absolutely love them. Uh, but I was craving to work with college level after a while. I was like, oh, yeah, after I do all this stuff, I'm going like, to write a book and become a professor. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Contreras. That sounds nice. But we can call you that on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all oh, that about you. Of course. So we'd love to maybe just jump into Coffee 101 and, and really through a lens of homebrewing. Got it. Is that helpful? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just ready for it all. The mic, the mic is yours. <laughs> Oh, the, okay, cool. So specifically in terms of homebrewing, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of thinking about this topic a little bit this morning okay. when I was making my own coffee. Mm-hmm. I was cracking up because I used to never actually have a scale at home. Yeah. <laughs> like this whole time I've been in coffee, I've never had a scale. One, I'm here a lot, so yeah, I don't, you don't like, need it. Yeah, I like live at the roastery, which I absolutely love. But on my days off, I use AeroPress at home. Okay. I love AeroPress. It's just there's so many different ways to use it. And manipulate the coffee or bring out different nuances. But in order to do that, you should have a scale. Okay. So I would say get a scale. And I use the Hario little guy, little black thin scale. Okay. You'll see them everywhere. Um, we saw them in the cafe, actually, because most of us on staff use them at home. And when we first started as a shop, those were the scales we used on pour over, too. So okay. very high quality and consistent. Um, and then they have the timer on the left. So if you're doing a pour over, you can time your cup of coffee, of course, try yeah. to shoot for between three and four minutes. And I'll give specifics on all the different devices, basically. Yeah. And then for AeroPress, at home, I have like a little um, slim grinder, ceramic slim grinder by Hario as well. Okay. And, and it, I'm assuming it's a burr grinder versus... Yes, it? definitely a burr grinder. You don't want to use the spice blade grinders at home. The burr in there, basically, I've been describing burrs lately as shark teeth. It's yeah. like one of my favorite analogies. Yes. <laughs> I hope they can hear that. He just chomped his teeth. That was funny. But basically, these shark teeth are, one is on like a, a rotary spinning little wheel, and the other one is fixed, so it's in place. And one of the burrs, or the shark teeth little guys, moves up or down, the rotary one. And so the further way, the further it moves up, your grind size is getting bigger, essentially. The closer it gets to the other shark teeth wheel, the smaller the particles become. So finer versus coarser. Mm-hmm. 
So your goal, basically, when you're making coffee at home and you're experimenting with different devices, is to create a uh, like a sand type feel of grind size. Um, and on the Encore, I want to say it's around like 12. There's like a little scale at the top that has digits, zero to what, not 20 or whatever. Yeah. And it's around 12. It's like in the middle. And that's pretty solid for drip coffee. So pour over and then AeroPress, you can make it a little bit finer. Huh. And so mm-hmm. maybe, so we've mentioned a couple for devices, the mm-hmm. AeroPress pour over. Uh, I think those are the ones. What I guess if I'm starting to brew at home, what are my options for brew devices? All right. AeroPress and pour over are like the top two. You can do a Chemex as well. Okay. Um, I Which is like a form to... of pour over, right? Yeah. So it's like a V60 Chemex. Mm-hmm. Very similar. And the only thing with Chemex is it's a little bit less forgiving because it has like a V angle at the bottom of its little cone. Whereas for pour over, I mean, you can have a V angle on your pour over too, mm-hmm. or V60, but you can get a Kalita Wave uh, filter or dripper. That's the top piece that goes on top of your mug, your coffee mug. Mm-hmm. And it has the Kalita Wave has a flat bottom with three little holes. And basically the stream in which your coffee flows or the water flows through the grounds uh, is a little bit more even flows at like a consistent rate. Like it doesn't get clogged when you have a cone at the bottom. If you pour maybe a little too harshly or incorrectly or at different spots, not only does it extract the coffee at different rates, you're going to get like agitation Mm -hmm. in the flavor, but it gets clogged at the bottom, just like anything else. Yeah. So for the most consistent cup of coffee with a lot of clarity, I just use a pour over at home, pour over set. I've got a Kalita wave. There's ceramic and there's stainless steel. Stainless steel never breaks, uh, and you can travel with it. Ceramic breaks, a little bit more thermal. <laughs> okay. You can get both. <laughs> <laughs> one for travel, one for not. Yeah. So there's also, what, French press? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Es- you could get an espresso machine, which yeah. may be a little more. Yeah. Whatever, espresso machine. And then you also have uh, just a regular, like, Mr. Coffee Pot yep. stove drip. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about drip. So... Coffee pot, like my parents' house. This is like the best example, right? Your parents. What do you What do you do when you go to home to visit your parents' house? <laughs> yeah. Do you keep an AeroPress there? Do you bring it for over? What do you do? So my parents, <laughs> they're kind of stocked up. We've got an AeroPress there now. Everybody knows how to use AeroPress. That's fun. Um, we do pour over sometimes, but I've got like a big family. So realistically, we're going to make drip coffee, mm-hmm. especially around Christmas time. We got everybody home. So um, they have like all these different mechanisms. And I was like, you guys should just get... Um, the Bonavita Brewer. It's basically like a coffee pot. Um, however, it mimics what a Curtis Brewer does. And Curtis Brewers are what we use in the shops to make like high volumes of coffee, drip coffee, um, for the person coming in who really just wants a cup of coffee. Okay. So they make the big, like if you ever look behind the counter and you mm-hmm. see big vats of coffee. Exactly. That's what the Curtis Brewer does. Yeah. And that's what you're recommending for a large At family. Home. Okay. Yeah. And it, you know, the Curtis Brewer is like this big old mechanism, right? It's fancy. It's for shops. The Bonavita is, it looks almost like a coffee pot system. It has that little coffee pot guy in there, a <laughs> little stout guy with the handle. And then you've got your filter up top. It's connect to like a little reservoir for water. But what it does is it pulses. So, for example, when you start the machine, it'll put a certain amount of water through the bed of coffee and then it pulses through the coffee and we call it pre-infusion, right? It extracts all the coffee at one time. The, what you can't see inside the machine is like the grounds puff up kind of like when you make pour over, they puff up like a little cupcake or a brownie that blooms. And then that first drop goes through. Mm-hmm. And then the machine, like you can tweak the settings, but it'll then pulse water through for a certain amount of time and then not pulse for a certain amount of time. And that's different than a average coffee pot where water is just like uncontrollably flushing through a bed of coffee. You know, just think like you've got a little bit more agility with this other brewer and the extraction will be cleaner. The coffee will be brighter, like more like a pour over, Mm -hmm. not completely a little bit heavy bodied because it's a coffee pot, meaning your filter is a little bit thinner. So the oils of the coffee are going through um, and that's good for like the big family that, you know, everyone just wants their cup of coffee in the morning yeah. and you want to bring everyone together. If you want to get like your four friends and you're in your mid thirties and you're like super stoked to sit on the porch or the deck and enjoy coffee in the morning, you know, then I'd say like do a Chemex, get yeah. all into it. Yeah. And like 
bring some cool coffee cards and tell them about this coffee that you love. I just got this Ethiopian. I paid like 25 bucks and I love it. <laughs> there you go. You know? Um, <laughs> and, and so one of the things you keep bringing up is extraction. Mm-hmm. And just make it real simple for people listening. What is extraction? So extraction, this is a fun one, because um, <laughs> people don't realize that your water has to be hot. <laughs> like it has to be a certain temperature. I yeah. didn't even know this. You know? Just like tea. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And you can over extract something. You can under extract something. The water, we teach people that the water should be around 192 to pretty much as high as 203 degrees. Uh, they even have these kettles called fellow kettles that have a thermometer in there and you can see, you know, the temperature. That's amazing. We use them at the shop. Mm-hmm. But when you're at home, you can basically boil water and you should use filtered water, by the way. Don't use tap water. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah. But use, you know, filtered water or bottled water, whatnot. You can bring it to a boil. And then you want to let it sit for like 45 seconds to like a whole minute, Mm -hmm. which is great for at home because, you know, you're multitasking. You're like getting ready and stuff. So you get it to a boil, you put it on the counter, you let it sit. It drops in temperature to around like 195. And that temperature, once it hits the bed of coffee, it basically like brings out the flavor. It soaks into the coffee grounds and then the coffee grounds release their natural flavor profile into the water, right? Uh, just like when you drop a tea bag in water or you pour hot water over a tea bag, you watch the color change. Um, and that tells you kind of like where it's at. Mm-hmm. Some people will try to shake the tea bag. They're like, come on, tea, be ready. But that would be agitating the, the tea leaves. <laughs> so same thing. You don't want to like rush the process mm-hmm. of extracting a coffee either. You want to, so like, for example, with a pour over. When the moment you pour water over that bed of coffee and you go in your little spiral and you coat all the grounds, you'll see the coffee like puff up a little bit. If you don't see the coffee puff up, you put too much water. If you put only a little bit of water in there, it's only going to extract part of the grounds. So your extraction, that first like contact is very important. So like over extraction would be the water and the coffee spent too much time together. And, exactly. And the water was too hot. So like the hotter the water is, the more, the more soluble is technically, right? Right. So then it, it draws more of the coffee flavors into it. And then under extracting is not hot enough water hot or not, enough. not or, spending too much time okay. with the coffee, which I guess I've more uh, a good example of under and over extraction. And this is something I kind of want to clarify for everybody because yeah, it was confusing um, when I was a barista, but when you're pulling shots of espresso in terms of like over extraction, under extraction, let's say you're shooting for like one and a half ounces uh, of a shot and you pull the shot and it runs through super fast with espresso. You have to time it. You got mm-hmm. 25 seconds. Let's pretend that's your gauge. One and a half ounces, is what you're shooting for. And you pulled two ounces within 25 seconds. You're off the team. Right. <laughs> Get out of my classroom. No, just kidding. <laughs> but that would be actually under extracted. This is where it gets tricky. Okay. It's technically under-extracted, even though the volume is high. Because what that means is the water has just run through the coffee and not actually spent enough time with the coffee mm, to extract yeah. the flavors it's supposed to extract, right? Mm-hmm. So that shot, an over, I'm sorry, an under-extracted shot mm-hmm. that's higher than your goal of ounces, one and a half, is going to be lacking in flavor. Uh, might be a little bitter in terms of like grapefruity kind of mm. notes, like uh, battery acid, right? In yes, some ways. just leaving that terrible, uh, very light flavor profile on your tongue that is not pleasurable. Mm-hmm. So then, if you over extract a shot, the water will go through the the coffee or the puck that's in there very slowly. And let's say within 25 seconds this time, it only pulls like one ounce, and it's a really dark looking shot, really chocolatey, nutty looking. And you're like, man, that wasn't what I was shooting for. That would be over-extracted. Spent too much time with the coffee. So now your shot's going to be on the really dark-flavored side, but not in a delectable way. Mm-hmm. So you have to find the balance, right? And that's going to taste more burnt. Exactly. Like, like Malty. <sighs> yeah. Whatever that And it depends is. what coffee you have in there. You know, every coffee's different. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, like Tin Lizzie, the espresso we use at the shop, it has a chocolatey, nutty, and kind of fruity floral note at the end there. So when we over-extract those shots, they're extremely chocolatey. Like the Indonesian coffee really comes out a little too much, and the Brazilian, I would say. But if it's under-extracted, it's really lemony, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have that rich flavor that you want. Even the, the crema and like the, the body of the shot is watery. So that's like your best uh, example of like 
an extremely under-extracted versus over-extracted okay. coffee. And then really what affects that is the time, right? You have to, you have to time something to know what your, what your gauge is, mm-hmm. to know whether it's over-extracted or under-extracted, and you got to measure it. So that's why in coffee, we have scales, your little measuring cups that you pull shots into. That's why you have a catcher for when you're making a pour over. Now at home, you don't need all those million mechanisms, right? You don't need everything to a T. But if you want to make the best possible cup of coffee, mm-hmm. you should have those things. And if you want to experiment with coffee, that's like that's where you get excited at home. You're like, oh, this time I'm going to pull it to like... 290 grams instead of 300 grams, you know, and like yeah. taste the difference. Do your own little like cuppings at home or like talk to your girlfriend, or your boyfriend about it. Like, Oh, what do you think of this? one? You know? Yeah. That's where it gets fun with coffee. And I think that's where like, we're not there yet with home brewing. Like not everybody's there yet. Not that everyone needs to be there with it. But if you're one of those coffee fanatics and you're just super excited to try something new, get an AeroPress, get a scale, get a pour over set, mm-hmm. get even like a coffee pot, just do experiments and, play with different ratios yeah. of the same coffee on three different devices. Like that's super fun to me. That's, yeah. that sounds like an awesome Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday morning. You sorry. are experienced. Yeah. Um, and even uh, just kind of carrying that train of thought, even if it is just one brewing device, like you're saying, so it's just a stove top Mr. Coffee thing. If you put in more coffee one time and taste it and you put in less coffee one time and taste it, you'll notice a difference. And so exactly. you can still test. Yeah. Like a simple thing you can do at home. I learned this from, um, I was in like the little AeroPress competition over at, uh, Dolcesa. They mm-hmm. hosted it and coffee district is the crew that put it on. Uh, it was really fun experience. But what I learned is like basically the whole goal of that competition was to create your own AeroPress recipe. And uh, you were given a coffee that you had randomly cupped like the day before. And cupping is just when you basically taste coffee in a regimented manner to understand the tasting notes and it, yes. what it does, right? Yeah. So you're just analyzing like the way the coffee smells and then how it smells when you add hot water to it. And then you slurp it to learn about its, uh, <laughs> yeah. its true nature and liquid form, which is <laughs> the best. It's exciting. Um, so you, you cupped it and then... Yeah, you had to so, build your own recipe. Right. So I had picked, I think I'd picked like an Ethiopian coffee. It had like, um, kind of like these melon notes where like if I, and it was peach and melon. I remember that because I had made a mistake. Like when I was experimenting with brewing it in the lab, we have like a little coffee lab at the roastery uh, and I was doing different ratios and just playing around with it and, and the temperature of the water too. Like you can get as specific as like 195 versus like 182. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was playing around with just the coffee first and made like a cup of coffee up to 310 grams, something like really large, like a 12 ounce cup. And I didn't like how, um, the coffee kind of like lost its body or too much of like the, the peach was coming out, not enough of the melon. So then I adjusted the end weight of the coffee or we call it like the output. So I didn't put that much water basically. So I did that first. And I went only to like 250. I was like, oh, this tastes much richer in flavor. Um, I did not tweak the grams of the coffee. I just kept, you know, it's like science. You only want to change one variable at a time. Mm-hmm. So change the output. Then I was like, all right, now I'm going to change the grain size. I'm going to play around with that. Make it a little coarser, a little finer. And I made it a tiny bit finer. And more of the melon notes came out in like a nice syrupy, not syrupy, but like silky way. So it didn't have too much body. And then I played around with the temperature of the water. I was like, all right, I had 200. I kind of was careless about the water temperature before. I'm going to bring it down to 185. I'm going to make sure it's always at 185. And then that's when I started to write down information. I was like, okay, I got to pull it. You know, I'm going to make a cup of coffee at 250. I'm going to put 17 grams. Um, I'm going to only bloom it for 30 seconds. And like, so there's these different things you can tweak. Mm-hmm. Now I can only do that because I had a scale. And I had a fellow kettle that had the temperature, the little thermometer visible. So I knew the temperature of the water and I was using filtered water. You know, all of the whole cafe basically has access to filtered water Mm -hmm. coming from the sinks. So if I were to do that at home, it's actually easier than you think. Use Brita water or whatever your filtered water is at home. You heat it to a boiling point. You let it cool. You get your scale, you get your Hario scale out. (laughs) You get your ceramic slim grinder so you can adjust the grind size to your pleasure. Um, and then you just keep track of your numbers. That's it. 
And just like cooking, like you're like, oh, I should have put more molasses last time, you know, like <laughs> just thinking like my mom, like, or my grandma adjusting things. And that's where it becomes natural after a while. You start to become this like comfortable chef in the room who's like, oh, I just know that like oregano goes with this or like, you know, mm-hmm. um, less butter, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the same thing happens with the coffee. You start to know numbers. You start to just know the yield of, of a certain coffee, like of a Guatemalan is always going to give me uh, kind of like a caramel with like a berry. Mm. The yield as in the, the taste profiles based on. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. The cup, of, the finished cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something fun that I do at home or like, uh, play around with my cousins uh, with this one is we'll brew an AeroPress and a pour over of the same coffee. And then we'll put a little bit in like a cup. And then we have these things called cupping spoons in coffee world, which are basically, <laughs> they're like deep pulled soup spoons. Okay. Uh, and you get a medium size amount of coffee in that spoon from the cup you just brew yeah. and you just slurp it. it how? So you go, <laughs> you go, <laughs> well, there's no liquid in front of me, so that's not the best slurp. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, and that's honestly, that's how they judged like the AeroPress competition. Mm-hmm. We just all submitted a different ratio or different recipe mm-hmm. of a coffee of our choice. They put them in these little eight ounce cups. The judges slurped each of our coffees and they're looking for flavor profile, body, you know, the consistency of like the acidity and the balance. So I play these games at home, basically, like people I know. I'm just like, oh, let's do this. Like, <laughs> let's compare this Guatemalan. And, you know. <laughs> Sounds like a good Saturday. Yeah. It's a good Saturday. Maybe that was a Wednesday. I don't even know Who anymore. Knows? I don't know the days of the week anymore. <laughs> um, That's the so best part about not here. being a teacher anymore. Yeah. yeah. I don't really need another day. <laughs> and so we've covered a couple things, but can we talk more about water? We've talked about the temperature of water, but why mm-hmm. is it so important to have filtered water uh, when you're brewing coffee at home? Right. Okay, so basically, uh, tap water has, you know, your typical chlorine, fluoride. Basically, other factors in, in tap water are going to form scale, which, like, let's say I brewed, like, on a normal coffee pot using tap water for, like, a whole year. I was just using that tap water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll talk first about, like, the scale part, and then we'll talk about, like, how it tastes. But basically, those... Uh, pieces or particles or whatnot within tap water after they're boiled to a certain extent over time they start to show up as actual sediment they create like it looks like a a really thick rocky looking crust kind of white and gray but it'll form inside of your brewing mechanism so you're doing two things here you're ruining your brewing device so you're now wasting money (laughs) and if you're like me i'd like to buy things and make them last i don't want to have to keep spending money on stuff so like your kettle could form scale on the inside over time your brewing device will form scale and what happens is the scale builds and collects around the parts that heat so like for example Hmm. one of the espresso machines i went over wholesale accounts this was a fun one (laughs) it went down like you know we had to go fix it it died basically yeah it died and uh you know we feel bad (laughs) for for that particular client but it was a fun experiment for us because then we were we were able to teach our whole staff like what scale is so uh sebastian our technician took apart the whole uh espresso machine pulled out the boiler and the boiler was covered in scale so the boiler at this point cannot work because it's covered in scale. So the water for the machine could not heat up to the right temperature to even extract coffee. Hmm. So that entire $15,000 machine is now broken because of scale. So like, you know, normally you're not allowed to, technically we do not take on clients that do not run uh, filtered water. Like you have to agree to set up a water filtration system in your shop for you to be a client. They were with someone else before us, so they didn't have the same rules and regulations. So when we took them on, we had to tweak some things. But it was cool because we could save that machine. You know, we basically, he soaked that thing in like acid and it it broke down the scale. And so we saved the machine. It's pretty exciting what you can do with a CPR. Yeah, (laughs) CPR with a special machine. But like that type of example I use because at home, if you're using tap water, you're basically just going to break down all your equipment. So that's step one. Don't use tap water because of that. Mm-hmm. The other reason is the quality of your cup of coffee, the actual flavor, the silkiness, the mouthfeel. A lot of that is going to come from the quality of your water. And that's pretty interesting because you wouldn't think that that is a main factor until you actually brew coffee mm-hmm. with filtered water at home. 
Like, you need to experience it to believe it, kind of. Yeah. So, like, you go to a coffee shop, you're like, oh, this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had. You know, one, probably the coffee, and, you know, people are brewing things correctly. But the water itself, like, for example, the body of the coffee with tap water is a little bit, like, grainier. It's a little bit thicker in a different way. Hmm. It's yeah, not going to be like, minerals in it and everything. Yeah, so. and it's not going to extract the flavors of the coffee with as much clarity. That's what we call it. So like the, if you have a coffee that is supposed to have these very exotic complex notes, it's going to be like apricot, plum, and then chocolate and creamy on, on the aftertaste. Those notes are not that apparent mm-hmm. and they come out almost masked by the body of the water profile. These are very tiny nuances. Like to the average coffee person, they're probably going to care less. It's okay. <laughs> and so that sounds like a huge reason of why when people come into a shop, love the cup of coffee and they're like, oh, I'm going to get that same coffee, take it home and make it. And it's going to taste the same. It's probably one of the reasons Mm -hmm. of various that it doesn't taste the same is there probably some minerals. And that's usually the convert. Yeah. That's the conversation that happens a lot over the pour over bar. So like we invite customers to hang out at the pour over bar so we Mm -hmm. can teach them because everyone's wondering those same things. They're like, how come when I go home, you know, my coffee didn't come out the way I wanted it to, or the way I had it here. And every barista here is like amazingly knowledgeable. I mean, it's on their own accord that they want to learn that much, mm-hmm. but we give them like tons and tons and tons of education yeah. classes anyway. I've heard the training directors. <laughs> Someone said she's a teacher. <laughs> um, but uh, on the former bar, um, like this happens literally like every hour. Someone will say that comment to a barista. And I love it because I love listening to what our vigilantes say every time. They're so amazing. They'll be like, oh, you know what? It could be like three things. And they're so genuine about it. They're like, let me just show you really quick. You know, they'll grind some coffee real quick and they'll show them a quick difference in grind size because that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that goes wrong at home every time. Then it's how much coffee you're putting into your uh, cups that you're making at home. And that Mm -hmm. goes back to experimenting if if you're just kind of learning on your own. You know, too less of coffee is going to be too light of flavor. Too much of coffee is going to be basically too strong a flavor Mm -hmm. Um, and then grind size and then the water. Hmm. And then that's when, once we give them those kind of quick facts, we don't want them to fail at home still. We want them to be excited and and keep brewing and and try out different recipes. So then we give them our little brewing cards or we refer them to the website to watch videos because we know what happens. You're going to go home and you're going to try it all out. And then it's not that you're disappointed, you're just more curious. So then you go on the website and you start looking up, you know, brewing parameters and then you're like, Oh, Vigilante Coffee has brewing parameters. I can just follow this recipe. And then that's where the exciting part happens. Because yeah. then once you do that, you're probably going to download an app for AeroPress, and then you're going to try out all of those recipes. Like, it doesn't need to just be our company's parameters. That's just to get you going. Yeah. And then, you know, you can kind of just learn coffee forever. There you go. <laughs> At it's home. It's like golf for everybody. <laughs> um, okay. And so that was great, those three breakdowns. And the one thing that we haven't really discussed, we've alluded to it, but the grind size. Yeah, grind size. That's Why exciting. is that important? So grind size is associated with how you're going to brew coffee. If you are going to use an espresso machine, you need a fine grind size. The reason behind that is because, you know, the espresso machine is going to pump pressure like through the coffee so the, the the whole espresso machine pumps at nine atmospheric bars of pressure that's the, the basic fact and so you need small particles that are then pressed down which we call tamping into a little basket inside the portafilter that's that like stainless steel looking handle that you see braces mm-hmm. put in the machine and then when you press that button to release the water in the machine to go through the coffee it needs to have the pressure built up against the water pressure pushing through so you've got this compact little we call it a puck of coffee that then is hit by this pressure of water going through it and extracting it all in time and then that first drop comes out into your mug or whatnot for uh, coffee so that those particles need to be fine they're very small they feel like powder and then once they're packed they're really tightly together and the analogy we use is water running through rocks. So like the f- smaller the pieces, the harder it is for the water to get through basically, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've ever made a pour over and your grind size was too fine, like too small, then the water takes forever to come through. And then that's when going back to overextracted, you get these overextracted, agitated cups of coffee that are not going to yield the flavor profile that says on the bag. you will be like, this was supposed to taste like lemon grapefruit, tastes like chocolate. <laughs> it's slurred. <laughs> it's probably because you got it too fine of a grind size. <laughs> and that, it just yeah. kind of played out visually. It's So imagine 
a little filter filled with pebbles mm -hmm. and imagine a filter filled with sand. Mm -hmm. If you pour water on top of the sand, it's going to take a lot longer to drip through. The water is going to spend much more time with the sand and like pull those flavors together and then drop through. If you put it with rocks, it kind of like zooms Just through. Just runs through, yep. And so that's the same thing with whether it's an espresso machine, pour over, even AeroPress, whatever it is. Right, so like... Einstein and all Science of the, like if we were to write it out, like a number line, you got zero through 20 and zero through four is espresso. So it's going to feel like flour, like powder, not as fine as flour, but that's just a good example of yeah. how it feels. Um, and then the coarser you get, once you get to like, let's say, remember we we're talking about zero to 20, mm -hmm. zero to four espresso around 10, eight that area you could do like coffee pot like drip coffee mm -hmm. so a little bit finer than you think everyone always thinks uh grind size for a coffee pot is like super coarse it's actually more like sand a little bit finer than okay. sand and then as you get a little bit coarser let's say you move up to like 15 16 17 you are basically playing with aeropress now and pour over and then a little bit coarser than that is uh french press and then the Coarsest would be cold brew because remember cold brew you are steeping it with cold water not hot water with cold water for like 18 to 22 hours so you if you were to soak like really fine grind size it'd be like mud basically yeah. the next day right just think about it like something you're playing with you know the cool thing about grind size though once you get into like coffees and like their origin and flavor profile you can play around with that number 16 17 18 a lot so, like, an Ethiopian coffee that, actually, you were drinking it a second ago. The awesome. Tekembe. It's a natural process. Tekembe. Tekembe. <laughs> yeah. Wish we had some uh, music coming in on that there one. There we go. <laughs> but uh, that one always takes longer to brew. Mm -hmm. And so, we adjust the grind size specifically for coffees like that, that are very, very light in flavor. flavor. And they have extremely exotic profiles, like floral notes that do not come through unless we make them coarser. So like if we brew to Kempe at like 16, it's going to finish around five minutes and you want to finish a pour over between three and four. It's kind of like your gauge. Uh, so then we make it a little coarser and then the water can go through a little faster. And then we play around with it around four minutes, which is really on the cusp of like, you know, the max for like a pour over. But that's where you have to analyze the flavor profile. That's where you slurp it. You analyze the quality of that cup. And then you can solidify it as, okay, everybody, Tekembe, we're grinding on 17, not on 16. Or And the reason behind this is, and then that's when we go into teaching our staff, like, why we do what we do uh -huh. for grind size. And that's so for the home brewer, they can also totally. really start to see those differences and start to adjust the grind. Basically. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I want people to be more excited about. I guess my own like personal like excitement for making coffee at home is experiment like have fun changing things like it might just be our mindset i don't know it's like americans like i'm afraid to like change the recipe or like go against what it says but like who said you had to follow the recipe perfectly like you're the one who's gonna drink the cup of coffee right like yeah. shouldn't you be excited about what you're gonna drink i don't want to drink something that tastes like halfway t to its potential i want to taste it at its best because i'm in this moment having this cup of coffee yeah so Maybe people just settle for, like, a bad grind size. <laughs> so don't settle for a bad grind size. Just change it. Have fun with it. <laughs> realistically, you're probably going to have some really bad coffee at some point if you're, if you're playing around. And that really is great because it tells you the parameters. So if you really want to get a good gauge, I think, yes. of uh, you did the scale of, of 0 to 20, which was awesome. I love oh, how you laid that cool. out. That was but just, like, fourth grade math right there. That was perfect. <laughs> I need more of that. Very simple mind. <laughs> but if, if so you're, like... You get your coffee and you grind it at a one and you're trying to do just a stovetop. You'll notice it's, it's probably not the best. But then if you jump up to a 12 mm -hmm. and you taste it, it'll taste a little better and it helps build that parameters and you say, oh, maybe it's actually somewhere in the middle that I, I need yeah. to be brewing this. And you know, it's, <laughs> to get semi-deep, it's kind of like life. Like you have to try out these bad paths to really understand like the quality of the coffee. Uh, and so what are some areas that customers could go or customers uh, mm -hmm. home brewers could go to learn more about ratios i know you mentioned vigilante's mm -hmm. website aeropress website but where else it's like anywhere like you could okay so the first step when you're a home brewer and you kind of just like 
browsing, mm-hmm. you'll just probably hit up like every coffee shop, you know, on the website. I mean, on the internet, on the internet, <laughs> on, the <nets. laughs> on the, on the online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you go on the online, <laughs> go on the online, <laughs> go on the online and you go to all your favorite uh, coffee shops. And then you realize, Oh, there's roasteries. Like when you're new to coffee, you don't realize that coffee shops, concept coffee shops will carry multiple types of coffees from different roasters. So like you'll find Elixir, you'll find Vigilante Coffee, you'll find Verb. These are like big name type high quality coffee roasters that are out there. Of course there's Intelligentsia and like those are very, very big names, right? They Mm kind of like pave the way for third wave coffee and whatnot. But you can just go to every single, I would suggest go to a roasteries website though, because then you're going to be able to learn from people who are actually roasting the coffee. Or you can go to YouTube and watch all the different brewing videos that are out there. Just type in coffee brewing 101, basically, or what the parameters are. Just parameters, coffee, pour over. Those are your three buzzwords. Boom. Mm -hmm. Type that in, get a recipe. If you go to roaster websites, you'll find classes that they can provide you with. So like, for example, you go on our website, you go under education or classes. There's like a tab for it. Mm -hmm. And you can sign up for any class you want. And then we continuously make classes based on what people want. So like we'll teach a class, let's say it's homebrewing 101. And someone was like, Oh, I really just want to experiment with siphons. So then maybe twice a year, we offer a kind of VIP siphon class, you know? Mm -hmm. So we'll take what we learn from feedback or from experiences with customers and classes and then just create whole new classes. You know, there's no, there's no sense in having the same class over and over. Right. Right. We're trying to constantly inspire all the levels of coffee lovers out there, not just, someone who works for a coffee shop or someone trying to open a coffee shop or someone who just likes coffee at home is for every, every stage and level yeah. of loving coffee. No, that's great advice. And even so like all around the city, probably even Virginia, I don't know as well. I'm, I'm learning. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. Right? <laughs> there, uh, there are coffee shops and roasters who put on different classes. And then also if you can go to a cupping, mm-hmm. you'll see them a lot around the city. I know. I, I think you oh, guys those are do very them. popular. Yeah. I've been to one at counterculture. There's one at mm-hmm. Y down. There's I so didn't name a few, but it's a great <laughs> place to check and learn more about your palate. Yes. Cuppings will teach you more about the difference in flavor profiles and what we call highlighting the terrar, like where the coffee comes from. That's terrain, 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 tierra, land, all that good stuff. It's, it's word parts. Okay, also, fourth nice. grade education out there. Just saying, guys. Thank you. Just saying, Thank you. you only need to go to fourth grade. <laughs> I'm biased. I taught fourth grade for most of my career. But um, I was going to say flavor profiling is more of an appreciation and learning of like why coffee tastes a certain way mm-hmm. or coffees taste a certain way from where they're from. Uh, and then that's the intrigue. That's just like when you go to like a whiskey tasting, which I am a huge fan of. I love doing like whiskey tastings, wine tastings, beer tastings, right? We all love it. But you don't necessarily go home and like make wine after mm-hmm. that, right? You go and buy a really great bottle of wine or you become a wine member. Um, with coffee, you go and you do a cupping and then you're like, oh, I want to go make it or I want to go to all these different shops and try all these different Guatemalans and compare them for myself or whatever. So for like brewing at home, the coffee classes are super beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like once you take one, you can pretty much kind of build your own curriculum for how you want to learn coffee. And then I would say the third part that I didn't mention yet are apps, like on mm-hmm. your phone. Those are my favorite for AeroPress especially. Okay. You were just talking about coffee coming from these different countries. And so there's a lot right. of... Highlighting the terroir. The terrar. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of... <laughs> yeah. But internal terrar. And so, you know, where the coffee comes from mm-hmm. and the type of variety it is definitely affects the cup. And so what would you say for people who are just starting out and really exploring coffee, home roasting, how can they explore that more? How should they at home? Um, keeping in mind that it's sometimes $15 to get a pound of coffee and oh, you, know, right. you don't want to... Just like anything else you're picking out or you're excited to create or make at home reach out to what you think you're going to enjoy for one thing. Like I don't walk into our own shop and go like, Oh, I'm going to get the, the award winning coffee today. I think about what I want to experience. Um, like, okay, I'm in this kind of mood. I want something kind of darker flavored, or maybe I want something really light right now. Cause it's four o'clock and I feel like having something a little bit juicier. So I'll think about what I want. Then I look at the bag and then it's like, okay, uh, I like this flavor profile and it happens to come from Ethiopia. So I'm going to brew that right now or purchase it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of 
price. Just remember that we are sourcing, well, we, Vigilante Coffee, are trying to source the best coffees possible. So when we go to purchase these coffees at the farm level, if they're award-winning, the markup for those raw green beans are very high. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with the quality. You are literally purchasing like high-end whiskey or whatnot. Think of it the same way. And then when you go home to brew it, if let's say you have a really expensive bag of coffee, just think a little bit ahead of like what you're going to do. Like I wouldn't just throw a really expensive bag of coffee and like a coffee pot and not know how much coffee I was putting in or whatever. I would then be a little bit more, I would pay attention to like my parameters more. Uh, But let's say you just want to learn about a coffee profile. And for example, if I wanted to learn about a Guatemalan and then next time explore like an African coffee and then an Indonesian coffee kind of work my way across the the coffee belt. That's what we call it or the equator line Mm -hmm. of countries that yield great coffee. Right. I would stick to purchasing a bag and brewing it the same exact way that I did the previous coffee so that I could actually see the differences in the flavor profiles. Mm -hmm. The next part that happens is you start to realize, okay, I liked this Guatemalan. Now I'm going to go buy a different Guatemalan coffee from the same roaster and I'm going to compare my experience from that previous guat to this next guat. And what's cool is you'll see, oh, the trial one of Guatemalan La Bolsa, for example, was really chocolatey and had like a berry finish. Mm-hmm. But this other Guatemalan coffee was more like plum apricot. And so you'll start to see that they're similar because they come from the same uh, origin and maybe like the body of the coffee or some of these kind of dark notes that come in seem to be consistent. Mm-hmm. So after a while, then you can start to generalize and be like, oh, most of the Guatemalan coffees I get are like medium bodied. They're kind of got a caramel note to it. They have a fruity aftertaste. Maybe every time I get an African coffee, I realize that the Kenyan coffee is always way more orangey or tangerine tasting than mm-hmm. the blueberry floral note that I get in Ethiopian. So that's when you start to learn about the origins and the terrar and, and how they taste. But you have to keep something consistent to compare. So at home, if you're doing that, you should try and just stick to like the same brewing yeah. device and the same parameters so that you can compare. And maybe even keep a notebook and yeah. write down what you tasted. Oh, yes. And... We love notebooks. <laughs> yeah. And I love what you said there, too. It's, it's really about what you're feeling. And you're right. Because I've gone into stores when I wasn't as much into coffee and been like, oh, they said this is the best coffee they have. And I've just been like, oh, that wasn't good at all. But mm-hmm. in the mornings, I like darker more blends and like, so comforting I, notes. like comforting notes like yeah. just what you think of when you think of coffee and then in the afternoon i like more naturally processed ones because mm-hmm. it's a little more fruit forward and i think just enjoyable yeah i think the last thing i kind of want to say about that topic though that's intriguing is you can go to several different roasteries or roasters like we are a roaster right mm-hmm. verve is a roaster or whatnot there's these companies that we all roast differently, but we might be purchasing coffee from the same farm. Mm-hmm. So like you'll go to La Colombe and you'll see like a, a particular farm that might be the same here at Vigilante Coffee, but we roast differently. Another component of how something tastes and when you're buying coffee is how it's processed. Do you mind just speaking a little more about the three processes? Yeah. I guess we'll just focus on a natural washed and um, honey process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When you pick for the, a for cherry, the simple yeah, I just realized, let's bring it down. <laughs> for the people out there who've been to Vigilante Coffee, <laughs> yeah. there are these skateboards in our coffee shop that define the coffee process from when it was picked off the plant all the way to when it gets to you, the customer who's drinking the cup of coffee. So it's really cool. And I usually share this with pretty much everyone who comes to the shop. But to give you a glimpse of that, uh, what happens is you have a coffee plant that uh, is not a huge, a humongous tree for those that have never seen a coffee plant before, a coffee tree. But they're kind of these flimsy looking, beautiful, green, luscious leaf type branches. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not thick. Almost and, like a weeping willow in some ways. Yeah, right? they kind of hang a little bit and yeah. they're probably only, the highest logo is like six feet tall. Mm-hmm. They're not that much taller than me, maybe seven feet. So then once you get the ripe cherry, they, they look like holly berries, but bigger. You put them in a basket, basically. And then once you fill up your basket, you go and empty them into your personal kind of like burlap as a farmer. And then they pay farmers based on the quality of the cherries picked off the tree and the weight. Once you get those cherries and you put them, uh, they basically take all those those red, beautiful, ripe coffee cherries. And they go down a humongous hopper of some sort. It's like a big 
it looks like a funnel that goes down into a mill type machine that depulps these cherries. So it squeezes the little round ripe cherry and the flesh of the fruit comes off Mm -hmm. and goes one way. And the little silky, slippery coffee seeds go another way. Mm -hmm. And what happens is inside every coffee cherry, there's two little seeds for the most part. And they're facing one another. They grow against one another, which is why coffee is flat on one side, right? The little the little bean is flat. So anyway, those seeds go one way. And when they go that other way, they kind of still have this silky, fleshy, slippery stuff from the fruit attached to the seed, which we call parchment, the little shell. So farmers will either leave that juicy stuff on there and it's called mucilage or honey mucilage they'll leave that around the parchment and they'll dry those beans on a drying bed which is the drying beds look like um or african raised beds look like a greenhouse and inside the little greenhouse there's three shelves very very long shelves going across the whole greenhouse and the top shelf will have uh let's say these these seeds that are drying that have honey mucilage around them and then the next shelf below that uh, they will wash that honey mucilage off with, with water and let those dry. So that would be called wash process. And then the very bottom shelf, let's pretend those cherries never went through the depulper. The flesh was never taken off. Those little guys will dry like little raisins. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into like a African, you know, raised bed greenhouse, basically, you see these three tiers of processes. It's like amazing when you actually get to see them. Okay. Yeah, it makes more sense when you see them. But anyway, all these different processes affect the moisture of the bean. So like inside the shell, once you crack open the shell and you take out this little raw green bean that's been in it the whole time, it now has a certain moisture content based on how it was grown. So a lot of like wash process coffees out there come from, I mean, they come from everywhere, but like right now I can think of, we have like seven coffees right now that are all wash process. And then we have like one natural, which is Tekembe, the Ethiopian coffee that you just drank. <laughs> Be good. Yeah. So like after a while you start to pay attention to the bag of coffee, you're like, oh, this particular coffee is wash process. This one's natural. And then this one was semi-washed. Semi is that one that had the little honey mucilage mm-hmm. attached to the parchment. Sometimes called honey processed, right? Yeah, exactly. You can't always say that a wash process is going to yield like a super juicy profile every single time. That's where like the land has a lot to do with it. The country, where it comes from, how they cultivate it, the elevation. And then, of course, the farm. They have to have like really awesome consistent systems if they have access to natural spring water that's even better um, there's all kinds of cool things that play into it mm-hmm. but basically indonesian coffee they wash their uh during the wash process they kind of like heavily wash they wash more often so the bean in a way is yields like a darker a heavier uh body and profile darker mm-hmm. profile pretty consistently like most indonesian coffee you get will be like that and then um Africa is well, Ethiopia in particular too is well known for natural process. And then you'll get a lot of wash process coffee from the Americas. So like Mexico, Central America and South America. Hmm. And for all the, that was really helpful to lay out the I process. I hope that was like a lot. Like processes get really intense. I yeah. <laughs> no, but that was okay. the way you laid it out. And those thinking about those three tiers and the naturally processed tends to usually be more fruity, right? Would you say? Yeah. And, uh, they, and it, this so is where like, like very general. Yes. Very general. They're very general. Cause when you read articles on processes, what you'll read the most is that like, they don't have enough data right now to just say like every time there's a natural process, yeah. it's going to be fruity. Like it will be fruity, but does that mean it's going to be fruitier than a wash that's process? True. And that's not consistent yet because Fair. I have amazing wash process coffees that are, really that are fruity. ridiculously silky, fruity. Like hmm. like the coffee I'm using for the competition yeah. is a wash process. I won't tell anybody. Yeah, <laughs> and it is like the silkiest, mouth salivating coffee I've ever had. Okay. So anyway, that I think where when you start comparing wash to natural, you can make some pretty good assumptions, but. assumptions and generalizations. I think the interesting though thing about natural process is that like that is actually a product of probably not having a lot of access to water, huh. which is amazing because then that means that that is that is literally the most natural form of like creating coffee, right? So to yield that with 
the resources that you have is phenomenal and that coffee is still in like the top two percent right of like all coffees we all enjoy as in ethiopian coffee or coffee from africa in general is just amazing or exotic and complex (laughs) that was great and so i guess i mean talked about just the complexity of it but really those are some things to pay attention to when you're buying kind of what you're feeling and then also you can look into the process the roast the terrar yeah, the, uh, where it comes from, <laughs> but those are helpful when thinking about buying. Awesome! I'm glad that that it's informational. Yeah, because yeah, once once you <laughs> once you get in a coffee, it's like it never ends. <laughs> yeah, a, and that's a great part. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I think we, I mean, we covered kind of different variables being you know water grind size ratio. We covered when buying it the different. Like things you can look at, whether mm-hmm. it's the roast and the variety and the altitude. We went less into altitude, but we'll leave that for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other things that you think a, a home brewer should think about or know? Mm. I would say just to break it down in simple terms, like we've talked a lot, we've had some really, a really good conversation in general about yeah. brewing coffee. But to just make it simple, because I think it always helps to just hear the sum up of like, okay, yes. well, what should I do sum at home? Up. Yeah. So like, let's take step one. You go to pick out a coffee, pick out something you want to experience and ask baristas, ask them questions. They are, they have a wealth of knowledge and any coffee person is willing to share uh, or teach and show you how to do something at home. So don't be afraid of like coffee shops. I think sometimes that happens. You walk yeah. into a coffee shop, you're like, oh, it's too intense. But no, everyone there just is like geeking out over the same thing, you know? So walk in, look at the rack of retail that they've got, pick a coffee that you think you're going to enjoy, and then ask the barista some questions. Mm-hmm. Then ask, you know, if you don't have a burr grinder at home, have the shop grind it up on the device on the grind size that you're going to brew at home. So if I'm going to make, if I pick out a Guatemalan coffee and it's supposed to have notes of chocolate with red berry on the finish, and I know I'm going to make it with the AeroPress, have that ready in your mind so that you can tell the barista, I would like this to be ground up on AeroPress. Boom. Mm-hmm. They're going to grind it up for you. Okay. Now, technically I don't suggest pre-grind, pre-ground up you yeah. know, coffee, but this is in case you don't have a burr grinder. Then you go home and make sure that you pretty much airtight seal it up because that coffee is just going to only grow staler by the second. So either use that coffee within those few days or grind it at home with a burger grinder. Step two, decide how you want, or sorry, step three, <laughs> decide how you want to brew your coffee. So you know you're going to do AeroPress, but think about parameters. If you want to get into parameters, go online, check out Vigilante Coffee. <laughs> yeah, that was a plug. Uh, there you go. No, just kidding. No, uh, or look up a, um, just type in parameters, AeroPress, and recipe. With ratios and Mm -hmm. amount of coffee? Yes. Okay. If you don't have a scale, at least study the parameters enough to kind of know like what you're doing. But I suggest having a scale at home. Mm -hmm. Then step four, (laughs) uh, use filtered water, um, boil, you bring your coffee, I mean your water to a boil and then let it sit for a second. If you have a thermometer, shoot for between one and E2 and 200 degrees. Then step five, (laughs) You're going to set up your AeroPress and you can brew directly into your mug. I did not mention that earlier. You don't need a fancy catcher. Just brew into your mug. But the AeroPress and the mug have to be on top of the scale so that you can watch your parameters or like record data. Have your notebook nearby and write down your recipe that you're that you're doing in that moment. Um, and then when you're done brewing, uh, an AeroPress is generally be around 2 minutes, 2.15. Pour over, you're shooting between 3 and 4 um, we kind of already talked about coffee pot, but you should just get uh, the Bona Vida. <laughs> All right. But anyway, um, so when you're done brewing, this is my favorite part, the step six. Sounds seven. like a six or seven. Six, okay. Step seven. <laughs> step seven, I like to sit on a deck or by the window. <laughs> okay. This is the treat yourself part. And really just enjoy what you made. Like think about how it feels, like the mouthfeel. Think about if you're really anal- if you're really tasting what's on the bag. Like did I get it right? Did I brew this guat so that I can, or Guatemalan coffee so that I can taste the caramel chocolatey notes, or maybe it's too chocolatey. Maybe it's not as sweet as I thought it was going to be. That means I need to tweak something. I mm-hmm. probably need to change something. That's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. Like yeah. it's not even a mistake. It's just an experiment. Then in your little notebook, just decide, okay, I think next time I make this coffee, which is going to be in two minutes, 
<laughs> I'm going to change the grind size, yeah. or I'm going to change the output on the water, or I'm going to look up a different recipe from a different roastery, or uh, use an app. And then that's where you're going to probably continue to cycle like every day after that. Yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. But the last step, this is the most important. All that coffee needs to go probably step eight. Put it in an airtight sealed container. Mm-hmm. Don't, if you're going to leave it in the bag, make sure you tape it, you clip it, and check the roast date and make sure the next time you brew your coffee, it's not like 20 days from now. Try to shoot for within 10 days to get the ultimate potential or freshness of the huh. coffee. Is it about two weeks after a roast? Try to drink it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after you grind it, it's really within like a week, right? Yeah. The, okay. Once you grind it, I mean, your coffee's just dying. Slurp a derp. And it's sad. <laughs> um, and then don't put it in a freezer. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other episode. Don't okay. do it. <laughs> just very quickly, keeping your coffee in a freezer doesn't keep it fresh. Yes. It can actually harm your coffee more and it won't taste good. <laughs> I love that my grandmother does it. but mm, Grandma. <laughs> Shout out to your grandma this time. Yeah, grandma. Grandma Brower. (laughs) Thank you for sitting with me for at least an hour now. This has been an hour? I don't even know. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds about right. But yeah, definitely take a listen. Check out the resources that you mentioned, uh, whether it's Vigilante or another roaster, or just Googling like Coffee 101. I'm sure things will pop up. And good luck at NOLA. Thank you. In New Orleans. Oh, thank you so much. They can find you at The Coffee Trigger? Yes, The Coffee Trigger on Instagram. Instagram follower. She has some pretty fun stuff. Oh, man. It's just exciting to share with the world. You heard her, folks. Check out Diane on Instagram as The Coffee Trigger. And Diane, good luck in New Orleans. DC is definitely rooting for you. Stay up to date on Drip, a DC coffee podcast, on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. Listen wherever you get your podcast. A big thanks to Steve Stewart, the engineer, the Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. To be honest, I would not be doing this podcast if it were not for the support of an amazing coffee community. No matter how you are a part of it, as a barista, roaster, regular, or coffee drinker, thank you and keep brewing community.